The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. In the city of London this morning and here are your headlines. A softer stance in Downing Street. Sterling strengthens as UK Prime Minister Theresa May says she'll request a second Brexit deadline extension and seek a compromise with her political opponent. We will need a further extension of Article 15, one that is as short as possible and which ends when we pass a deal. And we need to be clear what such an extension is for, to ensure we leave in a timely and orderly way. Meanwhile, Europe's Competition Commissioner Margrethe Vestager tells CNBC exclusively she doesn't see any issue with extending Britain's exit date. I don't see a risk in, in, uh, in prolonging the departure. Uh, of course, then there would have to be European elections also in the UK, uh, because this is a right every citizen has when a, your country is a member of the European Union. Asian shares hit a new seven-month high amid hopes for a U.S.-China trade deal as Beijing's top trade negotiator heads to Washington for another round of high-level talks. And in an exclusive interview with CNBC, the IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde says global growth is losing momentum but suggests a rebound is coming later this year. We have 70% of the global economy that is slowing down. So compared with previous forecast, it's clearly going to be a little bit downgraded. We forecast that 2019, second half, early 2020, should, should be better placed. I'm having mischievous thoughts this morning, but I'll just get into the read before I get to that. Uh, British Prime Minister Theresa May has said she will once again ask her European counterparts for more time to resolve Brexit at a meeting in Brussels next week. After a day-long meeting with her divided cabinet, apparently they had uh, uh, Chilean red by the end of it as well. Uh, May also said, <laughs> should have had it at the start of it. Uh, May also said she would begin fresh compromise talks, wait with it, uh, for uh, with the opposition leader... Uh, that's Jeremy Corbyn. Let's have a look at the uh, price of sterling at the moment. Again, 131.42, which for choice means that uh, market thinks that we're going to have a softer Brexit. Um, Willem, I've never thrown to you like this before. In fact, you've never been thrown to you like this before. But I wonder if Mrs May, actually, when she got up the podium, says, well, well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I've got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Jokers to the right, here I am. Joke clowns to the left of me, stuck in the middle of you. Now, that could be Steeler's Will, it could be Bob Dylan, or was it Mrs May? We should get viewers to write in. Good morning to you, Willem. Good morning, Steve. She certainly has found herself between a rock and a hard place, both within her cabinet, within Parliament, and, of course, between the UK and the EU. And what she's essentially decided to do, it seems is rethink her entire approach to getting a majority in Parliament. She's no longer going to go after those votes from the Democratic Unionist Party. She's no longer going to go after those votes from the hardline pro-Brexit members of her Conservative Party. Instead, she's going to try and find a compromise with Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party. And that will almost automatically mean, if she can find some kind of consensus with him, that we end up in the UK with a much softer version of Brexit than she and many members of her party 
would have liked. You'll remember, Steve, that slogan she used again and again, that no deal is better than a bad deal. We'll take a listen to what she said last night. I've always been clear that we could make a success of no deal in the long term, but leaving with a deal is the best solution. So we will need a further extension of Article 50, one that is as short as possible and which ends when we pass a deal. And we need to be clear what such an extension is for, to ensure we leave in a timely and orderly way. Now let's leave aside the party politics here in the UK and let's focus on how likely it is that she's going to be able to get that extension. You remember, she went to Brussels in the final week or so of the month of March, just a week or so ahead of that last March 29th deadline, and she requested that extension. The meeting amongst her 27 European counterparts went on late into the night. They thrashed it out and they gave her a conditional extension until April the 12th or May 22nd if she was able to pass her deal by last week. She wasn't able to pass her deal last week. So now she goes to Brussels on Wednesday and there's absolutely no guarantee she'll get either the extension she wants or an extension at all. And that might be largely down to the intransigence, if you want to call it that, or just the opposition of a man like Emmanuel Macron, the French president. Une extension longue. A long extension involving the United Kingdom participating in European elections and institutions is neither clear or automatic, and I'd like to repeat that now with conviction. Our priority must be the effective working of the European Union and the common market. The European Union cannot forever be hostage to the resolution of a political crisis in the UK. It's going to be a very busy few days here in Westminster. The plan had been for Parliament to try and hold yet another series of indicative votes where they can indicate what kind of approach they want as an alternative to Theresa May's plan. There's no clarity yet as to whether those will continue to take place. What she tried to do, Theresa May, having made that offer to compromise with Jeremy Corbyn, is also to say if talks with the Labour leader do break down, if he and I can't agree on a compromise, then I'd like to at least agree with him on a process for further parliamentary votes. And that means the government trying to once again take control of the parliamentary agenda so it can at least control the process by which parliament tries to find a majority on a way forward. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for that, Willem, as well. So um, that is the situation. Traps everywhere for Mrs May. Traps, actually, for Mr Corbyn as well, because um, they have seemed implacable foes up till now. And, and as I heard um, a lot of political commentators talking overnight saying, why on earth would we bail the Tories out now when we could be on the cusp of power ourselves? Could be uh, a harder Labour front bench uh, uh, clarion call. Traps for investors as well. I think it's, it's traps to the left, traps to the right. Here they are. This is like one of those uh, yawing boats. You know, you're all at one side, and then suddenly it tips over to the, and everybody goes staggering over to the other side. So, uh, when we came through the process yesterday in Parliament with those four rejected uh, proposals and then a resignation, mm. everybody went, "Oh, this this means we're going to have a hard Brexit. It's a hard Brexit." Yeah. And then we we fell all the way to one thirty against the dollar and. And then what happened? We, we get this now reaching out to Jeremy Corbyn. And everybody says, oh, oh, this means it's going to be a really soft Brexit. And suddenly everybody's teetering over to the other side and we rally a massive dollar. It is painful. I mean, it's painful for everyone, for investors, for businesses, people trying to make investment decisions uh, and the politics. I have very little sympathy for those who are 
um, affirmative on one side or the other that they have to have a heart like the, the Steve Bakers of this world or indeed or, or the other side of the echelon who's like no no we ne- definitely need a second referendum I think there has to be some form of compromise at this point and maybe maybe Mrs May is going for it though maybe it's a trap for Mr Corbyn who knows are you a Steelers Will fan by the way uh, I did enjoy the song Yes, very yeah. much in my yeah. wheelhouse. Do you like my version or the or the, or the uh, Are you going to sing it? Bob Dylan. Ver- well, I, I had a little go earlier on. I don't know if Villain was as impressed as you are. I don't think he was. No, no, no. no. I didn't realise it was Jerry Rafferty. Yes. He of Baker Street. Amazing. Another isn't it? great song. That's Love also that. your ear. Yeah, the director song. loves that one Brilliant. as well. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, IMF managing director Christine Lagarde has told CNBC Brexit poses a clear downside risk to global growth. Speaking in an exclusive interview with us, she added a no deal exit would weigh on the UK's economy. Absent a deal, uh, it, will, it would certainly be very, very. Uh, sad for the economic situation of that country and would have a negative impact on consumers, on producers, on the supply chains, on on pretty much all the uh, the trade relationship that exists currently between that country and the rest of Europe. Well, stay tuned to find out what IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde thinks about trade and the global economy. More from our exclusive interview later on in the programme. The European Competition Commissioner, Margrethe Vestia, has told CNBC exclusively there is nothing wrong with delaying the UK's departure from the EU. Uh, Sylvia had the pleasure of Margrethe Vestia's company and can tell us more. So she clearly doesn't see a problem with the extension. Well, at the time that I interviewed Vesteka yesterday morning, the news that uh, Theresa May was going to ask for another extension, um, we didn't know that at the time. But I asked her the problems and the risks because of delaying Brexit in the context that the UK should have left a week ago. And we were at the stage where we're still considering further extensions. And so I asked Vesteka what are the risks, and she said that in her opinion, there's nothing wrong in waiting a little bit longer, in considering every single option about the UK's future. And so yesterday she did say that there's nothing wrong in delaying with Brexit. Let's listen in to what she had to say. I don't see a risk in, in, uh, in prolonging the departure. Uh, of course, then there would have to be European elections also in the UK, uh, because this is a right every citizen has when a, your country is a member of the European Union. Um, but of course, if, if you need to reconsider how, th- how uh, the Brexit referendum should be respected, what would be the, uh, the preferred uh, UK choices, I don't see a risk in a prolongation. But of course, you have to figure out, well, how would we want to use more time? Uh, and then, of course, uh, prepare for elections and, and hold elections um, and then figure out, well, what is it that we want to do? Um, so no, I don't see a, a specific risk in a prolongation. Uh, I think it's never a risk to think twice uh, and to sleep on it. Then sometimes you wake up and you reconsider. This is definitely an, an unprecedented moment in the European history. We have one country trying to live for the first time. Where has the EU failed in this context over the last 60 years or so? in trying to keep a member in its club, essentially? Well, I think we we spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. integrating member states in the European Union. 
but maybe we, we underestimated the importance of integrating the European Union in member states. Um, because you have to feel at home in our European democracy. So it is important that the people who make the connections, uh, ministers in council taking decisions here, then traveling back home, implementing it, that they feel that they own it. Uh, and sometimes I feel that that doesn't necessarily establishes itself. Uh, and then you get sort of the annoying things. You get the stories about the things that, oh, come on, why, why do they bother about this and that? But you don't get sort of the passion that this is ours, this is our democracy, just as well as, as the national democracy. So Margit Vestager, the EU's competition commissioner, also saying that the EU has some, uh, is to blame for the UK's departure in the context that certain member states are failing to go back to their home countries and explaining their citizens how the EU works and allowing them to actually feel European. Well, well, what about someone at the commission? And I don't know if it was you who I was talking to someone. Say, well, look, you know, Cameron resigned straight away because it was an ignominious failure on his part. Osborne resigned because he had ignominious as failure as well of explaining it. So where's the people at the commission uh, failure? Because they failed, not, not because people have gone back to their countries and failed to explain the benefits of the EU. How about the commission itself looking in the mirror and saying, we have our own fault to pay on this one. We are to blame as well for not making this uh, exciting enough and enticing enough for the one of the wealthiest uh, and biggest countries in the EU. Where are they going to start quitting? Well, Vestager made the point that the European Commission needs to make an effort in that sense. Yeah. But what also she said is that the member states, the ministers that often go to Brussels every month for, uh, for their own meetings, then they go back to their home countries and they actually blame the European Union for certain policies and they don't actually say, well, actually, we also have a uh, blame on this subject as well. You know, they are saying that it's the European machine that is to blame for certain things, yeah. but they don't take blame for their own job as well. Okay. You want to jump in on this one? No, not really. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll let sleeping dogs lie on this one. Um, Sylvia, thank you very much indeed for thank that. Uh, we'll pick up well uh, with more on uh, uh, that interview a little bit later on in the programme. You and I love a good debt story, don't yes, we? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, okay, we well, do. it's corporate, how the global debt growth slowed in 2018. But is it just a blip or the beginning of a trend? We're going to have plenty more after this break. And tell me a little bit more about this half an hour of the show, Jeffrey. Well, this half hour of the programme uh, becomes a podcast. No way. Yes, it does. And if you want to hear more on that first half hour, tune in to the podcast by going to cnbc.com, iTunes, Spotify or Google Play to have a listen to uh, today's programme. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Right, so the Fed went from being prescriptive with its rate hikes to an elongated pause, patience and data-driven. And if the Fed's data-driven, that means we're all data-driven. And that's why we had the rally in the previous session, because we like the Chinese data, we like the US data. But the daddy of data, the big mama of data, of course, is the data we get on Friday, which is the non-farm payrolls. For the three decades I've been in the city, it's been the key bit of data, and it remains so. If you want to look at the headline figure, that's up to you. I'm going to look at the employment rate, I'm going to look at the average hourly earnings, and maybe, maybe even the participation rate starts coming into play as well, because that's what the Fed will be looking at, at the tightness in the labour market. Ahead of that, though, we have got ADP jobs, which sometimes gives you an accurate indication 
Sometimes doesn't. So yeah, it's a bit of a random one. Market PMIs and non-manufacturing ISMs today. And Jerry, did you see the data yesterday? Auto sales back with a roar. A roar. 17.5 million on an annual basis as well. Very big car sales as well. Uh, and also we're looking out for the senior loan officers opinion survey, which comes out soon for April as well. What is that going to say about the tightening in lending standards? Or actually, is the credit beginning to flow again? All these factors weighing into the market as well. The Dow dragged down yesterday a little bit. We had tech was doing rather well, hence why the Nasdaq outperformed to the downside. Consumer staples having their worst day in several weeks as well. Let's have a look at WTI and Brent. Now, there's a lot of data watchers out there and tech watchers, and Jeff is both of the above. So he would have been excited beyond belief about the 200-day moving average on WTI, that one over there, which we got above for the first time since October 2018. Yes, I'm interested in Brent at $70 per barrel because, of course, the, the Twitter machine has begun to crank up a little bit uh, from Mr. Trump as well. At around about 68 handle, he started talking about the responsibility of OPEC. I may have tweeted that I thought he was going to start at around $70 where he started last time. But I think that's pretty interesting to look out for as well. Uh, in terms of other markets, well, let's have a look at the Asian indices as well. They've been quite choppy, but they're back on the front foot. If you're long, well done. If you're short, tough times because the Nikkei is up 200 points. The Hang Seng is up 266 points. The Shanghai Composite, bit of a laggard, up 0.36 of 1%. What about the European opening calls where the FTSE was rallying yesterday? 7,400. Again, Inverse relationship because of the dollar earners with the price of sterling. Not a great barometer of what you think is going on in Brexit. That's the truth of it. The DAX slightly underperformed, but it was still up. Seen up another 86 points at the start of trading. But we're all watching China. And you and I are going to have a look at that debt figure in a moment. But yeah. ahead of that, what about the services data, Jeffrey? Yeah, let's have a look at the uh, services number on China. The uh, activity in services sector hit a 14-month high in March, according to a private survey. The Kaishin Services PMI came in at 54.4, sharply higher than February's 51.1 reading. The survey results suggest recently launched government stimulus measures are having an effect on the economy, with respondents citing stronger demand and better access to capital. How are the trade talks going? Well, US and Chinese trade Trade negotiators are expected to, quote, make more headway in talks this week, according to White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow. Speaking at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Kudlow said there is a, quote, certain amount of optimism around negotiations between the two sides. Chinese Vice Premier Liu He is due to meet with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer in Washington today for further talks. IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde says there is a need for both sides to move forward in trade talks. Speaking to CNBC, Lagarde also addressed slowing growth concerns. It's a delicate moment because uh, the, the growth is losing momentum. And it is losing the momentum that we had hoped for pretty much across the globe. We have 70% of the global economy that is slowing down. So compared with previous forecast, it's clearly going to be a little bit downgraded. Um, I think added to that, um, there are signs of hope coming up. So we forecast that 2019, second half, early 2020, should, should be better placed. Uh, but with clear downside risks, uh, which have to do with country-specific cases, 
what will happen to Brexit, how will it impact uh, the global economy, the UK economy, of course, and, and Europe, uh, tensions on trade, which clearly have resonated negatively on the confidence index of, of many, uh, many economic operators, which is still up in the air. Last time we spoke a few months ago, you were pretty optimistic that a deal would happen between the US and China, that there mm -hmm, was commitment mm -hmm. to making a deal. What's your level of optimism these days? Well, a deal is a deal is a deal, and it's only done when it is signed, sealed, and delivered, as the uh, the, the the old style British lawyer would say, uh, and and it is not there yet. So I'm still optimistic. It's my nature anyway, and uh, there is a clear impetus, a clear determination on both sides to move forward, and and it's it's vitally important because if there was no such deal, well, clearly, clearly there would be a very negative impact on both the Chinese economy, but also the US economy. We've, we've done some modelization and uh, we, we figured, okay, if there was a 25% tariff increase on all trade between the two countries, US and China, mm -hmm. and there is a clear negative impact, minus 0.6% on the US economy, minus 1.5% on the Chinese economy. So given that those are the two big giants uh, currently, if, if you have that kind of negative impact on both, it would weigh uh, heavily on the global economy and would be bad. Uh, let's move on. The pace of global growth of debt actually fell sharp in 2018. That's interesting, isn't it? It rose only, well, $3.3 trillion, a mere $3.3 trillion, according to the IF. Uh, the figure is down sharply from the $21 trillion rise in 2017. Global debt for the year ended at $243 trillion, leaving global debt to GDP. I love all these numbers. I think they're quite fascinating. At 317%. Jeffrey, there was some good news in this. I don't want to be unambiguously pessimistic about debt for a change, but okay. you and I both pour over this report. Yes. I, I think, look, a couple of good things. One, the pace of growth of debt slowed down. So that's a good thing. Two, uh, the US debt to GDP came off a little bit because, of course, they had the growth. They still yeah. ratcheted up the debt, but the growth was greater. So the, the debt to GDP ratio was uh, lower than previous. So those, those are good news stories. But I'm still incredibly worried uh, about US corporate debt still on the rise. Uh, extraordinary figure. The largest annual rise last year since 2007. Uh, and the Chinese household debt to income ratio some 15 percentage points higher than in 2016. And Mike, uh, our producers, put some brilliant charts together. So thank you, Mike, for that as well. What do you want to say? Uh, well, just that this is not going to stop. Um, even as there's been some, I think, improvement, as you point out, in perhaps the pace and, of course, there's the statistical uh, trick that's been conjured by throwing money at the economy yeah. and stimulating uh, tax receipts and activity. Um, uh, one of the stories that crossed my desk this morning was just talking about Tencent going back to the market potentially for a, another $5 billion. And you look at those kind of bond raisings and you say, OK, great, they must have an acquisition target in mind or they must be a, have a large expansion uh, uh, programme that they're looking at at the moment. But no, proceeds are for financing and general corporate needs. So this is like money just to continue to get you through the business day. Tencent last tapped the bond market for about $5 billion back in January, and it's raised money through uh, the state council. Mm. Um, 
it's not the only Chinese company that's come to the market. China Evergrande, uh, which is a property developer, raised uh, 2.8 billion in January from the bond markets. So I just don't think the pace of, of this kind of accumulation of debt at the corporate level is going to stop. Quick one on me on the dollar as well. Dollar index had a decent old run. Let me just have a look at this. Yeah, it's a three-week high, five out of six sessions to the upside. If the US economy stabilizes, if things look better, as Madame Lagarde says later on as well, dollar-denominated debt of foreign emerging markets is going to come right back into focus because the EM will suffer potentially on their currencies, the dollar will strengthen a little bit, and their debt requirements are still as great as ever. Uh, ever. 212% of GDP in 2018, the debt-to-GDP ratio of emerging market debt. That is a lot of money uh, when you've got dollar calls left, right, and center. Something to keep you awake at night. I, I love these reports. And um, thanks to the IF, by the way, because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Terrific. Uh, every month or so. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.